Well, good morning, Rock Hill. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online on this daylight savings time, which has got to be one of the worst things ever, but just putting it out there. Thank you for joining us in person, online as well. If you have your Bible, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Before we get there, I want you to know that our hearts go out to Westlake Baptist Church here in uh, Chandler, Texas. Uh, Rick Arndt did pass away and is now in the hands of Jesus last night. We're going to pray for them and Melissa, his wife, as they walk through this season. He had COVID for well over a month and uh, now is healed in the hands of our Savior. Can we pray for Westlake as they walk through this moment together. Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we lift up uh, Lee and the, and the pastoral staff there at Westlake, Lord, knowing that uh, this is a trying moment for them to lose a staff member. It's always a trying moment to lose anybody in your church, but also to lose a staff member as well. God, we're asking that you bring comfort to the Arden family, and Lord, uh, comfort to the Westlake family, like we know you. And God, we ask that now as we open up your word, we'd be mindful of the seriousness, the seriousness of what is said today from Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see you. I hope that you know that the Beatitudes are an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. So these statements from Jesus serve as the appetizer, if you will, to the main course. But I think today, today is a critical moment in the text. I, I think that this verse summarizes a disciple. If you want to know what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, you read this verse and that then will clarify for you a disciple, who a disciple is, how they ought to live. And so the verse is starting in verse 8. And if you're there online, you can type word. If you're with us, if you're there, will you say word? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's say that again, because I, I don't know if you, you might have missed it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, sometimes when we read verses in the Bible, it would be easy to skim over what is actually being said here or the context in which it's being shared. Remember, remember, Jesus is speaking to people who some had a particular idea on how Jesus was supposed to come. You ever had an expectation on somebody? And then you maybe you, you met them online and then you meet them on person and go, oh, you're taller than you, or in my case, you're shorter than I thought you were. And you have this expectation. Well, in those days, the Pharisees or religious leaders, they had an expectation about Jesus. Their expectation was simply this, that they thought when Jesus was going to come or when he arose, when the Messiah would come, he would actually usher in a new political movement. I'll just put it out there. Political leaders will always fail you. I have yet in my short history of being on this earth, and it's about to be at the top of the hill and now down apparently, or as my children say, you're about to be old. But apparently in all of the political arenas that I've been able to vote in, Every politician has let us down. But in their mind, the religious leaders thought, when the Messiah comes, he'll set everything right. We'll have the political power and clout that, that we really want and really deserve. 
But the problem with that is that Jesus was after something much greater than just a political party. Jesus was after something much greater than just a political position. Jesus was after something that once it was transformed, it would change everything. You see, everybody else was just focused on the policies and the, the voting. See, in those days, you couldn't vote out corrupt leaders. Uh, we live in a great, the great experiment is America. And in America, you have the opportunity, everybody does, to vote once or twice. You get to vote. Okay, see, so you're, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, I, that, that wasn't in the notes. And my wife's not here, so this is the problem that we're in. But you get to vote, and when you vote, you can vote your principles and your integrity, all these things. But in that day, they didn't have that chance. Like their taxes just went to whatever the government wanted it to go to without any type of debate, without any type of vote. It was just done. But they thought, if Jesus comes, it's going to fix everything for us. But Jesus was after something far surpassing political power. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, but in Matthew chapter 15, here's why I believe this. Jesus says in verse 8, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their what heart is far from me. If you continue to read in Matthew chapter 15 at verse 19, this is why the heart matters so much. Look what he says. He says, from the heart come evil thoughts, Murders, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person. So Jesus is much more interested in what's going on in here because whatever happens here, it's going to come out. And he's saying to the, to the religious leaders who are arguing about the disciples, he's saying, look, it's not what you put in that defiles you. It's what comes out and what comes out comes from here. So it could be argued that part of what Jesus is getting at when he talks about being pure of heart is a moral uprightness. That your life inwardly, which will then impact externally, have moral integrity or moral uprightness. So this bears out some questions for us today, just like all the other Beatitudes have bore out questions for us. The first question is just this, why, what is the heart? And why does Jesus talk about it so much? Now, when Jesus refers to the heart, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood throughout your body and is currently working and will continue to work throughout the entirety of the service. The heart is deep inside of you and is a control center for your emotions, your thinking, your thoughts, your views on other people, your, which therefore influences your actions. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs says in Proverbs 4.23. Look what he says. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of your life. Uh, some translations say wellspring. So, so we're, we are to fence, we are to guard, we are to fight for our hearts because from your heart affects everything else and so Jesus is saying I, I want you to have a, a pure heart because wherever your your heart is your life will be Wh whatever you 
have set your heart upon, Jesus will later say, that's where your treasure is. And your treasure is that which you hold secure. Who you are is an overflow of the state of your heart. It, whatever you do, it comes from within. Why, why did I do that? It came from within. How did that happen? You weren't guarding your heart. If you are easily offended, which some of us are, it tells me that your heart is not secure in Christ because you think every statement that somebody says is about you and not about you. And maybe sometimes the truth really should hurt. If everybody else is the problem, maybe you've not confessed sin. Because when I'm in a, in a season of, or a day of lack of confession for sin, I can point out everybody's sin really quick. Jesus was deeply concerned about your heart, and he doesn't say you need an upgrade. You know, our phones are fascinating. I don't know about you, but I, I didn't worry about changing the, the time on my phone last night. It's amazing. I mean, I remember the day that you had to change every single clock, both of them in my house. I had to change them. Microwave was off, coffee maker's off. Now I've come to the point in time where I keep a clock and I know that it's wrong so that I know that my phone is right. I almost, and I didn't do it, but I almost Googled what time is it in central time just to make sure that when the, the clock said four, it wasn't really saying three. You say, you were up. I just wanted to make sure that it worked. Our phones automatically update now. I don't even have to push a button. It just it says, hey, I'm going to update your software. Even when you don't even want it to update your software, it says, I'm doing it. And I'm going to keep a little red dot on top of that thing until you say, comply and say, yes. That's a renewal. That's an update. Jesus does not say you need an updated heart. He doesn't say you need heart 2.0. He doesn't say that you need an upgrade. He says you need a new heart. The Pharisees cared about the outside. Jesus cares about the inside. The Pharisees looked at the external. Do you have your life put together? Jesus is more concerned about the inside. The Pharisees were concerned about the religious rules and regulations. Jesus is more concerned about loving God and therefore then loving your neighbor. Here's, here's part of the point. Christianity is less about understanding all the doctrines, although doctrine matters and you need to pursue that. It is mostly, though, about a condition of the heart. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. Look at this. Watch this. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. Oh, yes, Lord. And he had been caught in sin. So David isn't saying, hey, I'm a model of inner purity. David has just cheated, taken another man's woman as his own wife, gotten her pregnant, and then had him killed. This is not like the guy you want your girls to date. And he says... Surely you desire inner integrity in the inner self. Then he says this, and you teach me wisdom deep within God. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So he says, don't give me an updated heart. Give me a clean one. G give me something brand new. I, I, I take out the old, put in something new. See, God has always been concerned above all else about your heart. He always has been. 
He's always been concerned about the condition of your heart. And if you're not guarding your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, you'll begin to do and say and think all kinds of silly things. So what does it mean to be pure? If Jesus cares about the heart, and he talks about it quite a bit, what, what, what does it mean to be pure? Recently, there was an interviewer. You might know who she is. She's quite famous. Her name is Oprah. And she was interviewing a particular couple that, um, when you're in the grocery line, you see them all the time. My kids will go, who's that? I said, it doesn't matter. We, we rebelled against them long ago. They're interviewing Harry and Megan, the former part of the royal, I mean, still part of the family, but estranged, whatever. And I don't know what is truth in all that. I, I, I just don't know. And I, I, I'm really not interested in that. I'm interested in this point. Okay, so here it is. She mentions to them in the middle of this interview, she says, I'm so glad you're speaking your truth. That's what Oprah said. I'm so glad you're speaking your truth. It's so important that you speak your truth. Do you see the subjectivity in that statement? It's deceptive in our culture. They have a truth. And then the royal family uh, across the pond has a truth. Your truth. My truth. As long as you have, just be true to you. That's your truth. And then it's my truth. And we'll just get along. No. The idea is to and I think the enemy uses this to diminish the truth. Like I had a professor one time that said, he said, there are no absolute truths. And I went, yes, that's an absolute statement. Well, I said, what do you do with Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that's the closest truth statement there is in all of the world. This is my Bible professor. Dr. Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, the Southern as he calls it, but it's not the crown jewel like Southwestern, but <laughs> Dr. Moeller has a podcast that I think you should really listen to. It's a Christian worldview from a, uh, a, a cultural worldview from a Christian perspective, right? So biblical worldview, Christian perspective, he, he deals with topics of the day and he gives a brief summarize, 20 minutes long, it's called the briefing. I, I really encourage anybody to believe it. You don't have to agree with all of his theological positions, um, although he thinks he's right, but you, you should listen to him. He is conservative, he, he loves the Bible, he is a solid, solid believer. But he made this point in the briefing on sharing your truth. He said, pretend you're in an airplane and you have a pilot. And the pilot has instruments and all kinds of diagnostics in front of him, more buttons than the Millennium Falcon. He's got all these things in front of him. And let's say the pilot gets on there and says, I don't care what these instruments tell me. I'm going to fly this plane according to my truth. I'm going to direct this plane according to me. Not according to what reality is. Because... Reality is that the plane could be nose diving, but if he's doing it according to his own truth, you're in trouble. Because in his own truth, he's thinking, oh, I'm just fine. Things are going great. But in reality, the instruments are saying, you're in a tailspin and you're diving fast. But in your mind, 
You say, well, I, I don't want that pilot to fly the plane according to his truth. I want him to fly the plane according to the truth. See how this breaks down when you say, well, just share your truth. It's your truth versus my truth. There is a legitimate attempt in our culture today to redefine words. Webster's Dictionary does this daily. It is not a source for accuracy any longer. If you believe the definitions that the culture offers you, you'll believe anything. And it could result in some eternal consequences that are not good. A prime example of this is the word pure. To be pure biblically means that you are morally upright. To be pure biblically means that you are to be clean. No imperfection, no impurity. Purity today means something different than it meant even when I was a kid. And I know you go, oh, that was yesterday. No, 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 that was a while ago. At the rate that things change so rapidly in our culture today, words like love and integrity and pure or truth have all been changing in definition. And we keep moving the goalpost further and further and further away from biblical truth. If love is love, regardless of how God has defined love, and as long as you just love somebody, that's fine. Absent of what Jesus describes marriage as a, between a man and a woman, you're going to get in all kinds of a hot mess. If share your truth is it's true for you, therefore that's good for you, and that's your truth, and I have my truth, regardless of submission to the truth, you're going to be in trouble. Are you going to stand before the heavenly father and say, well, I lived according to my truth. That's what you wanted, right? He says, no. If integrity only matters when, until you get caught, how then are we to understand pure? Can I just tell you, this is a tangent, but I think it applies. The only perfect, pure, sufficient, inerrant, undefiled truth we have is found in God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God. The, the theological word we use for that is called inspiration. It means God has inspired this word. Yes, he used human authors to write out this word. God did not take their hand and dictate, but God breathed it out. The Bible then therefore comes from God. God theologically, is incapable of being wrong. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, then who is not wrong? If God is God, that means he's above everything else. He is not wrong. Therefore, when he inspires the, the Bible, inspires this word, it's incapable of having corruption or falsehood. So if the Bible came out of him, then the Bible is incapable of being wrong. And people have argued for years years, centuries, that the Bible is wrong. Yet they'll quote men who were wrong to prove their wrong point. And if it's not wrong, then therefore it's infallible. Because the Bible is inspired by God, it has no corruption, it is without error, it is infallible. But therefore, since it has no error in the Bible, no falsehood, no contradiction, no corruption, it is also inerrant. The Bible is inspired, therefore infallible, and therefore is inerrant. To say this in reverse would be, if there is corruption and there is error, and then therefore there is 
falsehood, then God is false. That's the logical conclusion. Why do you think there's an attack on the Bible? There's an attack on God. So because this Bible came out of God, the Bible is literally the only tangible thing we have in front of us that declares to us the truth. This book carries authority for us. If this book doesn't carry authority for, authority for us, we then are therefore the authority. And look where that's gotten us. That's why it's sufficient, because anybody who can read this word, no matter where they are in the world, they can understand the truth of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So when the Bible says something is bad, it's bad. When the Bible says something is good, it's good. Hypocrisy and corruption is not named among those who are pure. Here's what Psalm 86, 11 says, teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. The pure are not divided. The pure, there's no hypocrisy. There isn't do as I say, not as I do, right? Have you ever told your kids what's for dessert? You said there's no dessert, and then you're over there with a bowl of ice cream? Height of hypocrisy. And my children will say, Mom, why does Dad get a bowl of ice cream and we don't? It's like, well, because he's a hypocrite. So, <laughs> so what does pure in heart mean then practically? Because I think, I, think I don't want to stay here. I, I want to get to the ground level. What, what does it mean practically? I think the blessed person, the pure in heart person is the person who obeys God and his word from the heart. I think it's the person who obeys God out of a heart that's in love with God. This is much more about being in love with God than anything else. The pure in heart, loving God. Here's what 1 John 5, 3 says. For this is what love for God is. So if you say you love God, here's what it is. To keep his commands and his commandments, or his commands are not a burden. You obey God, not because it's a chore but out of a heart of love for God. I want to do the things that pleases God. I want to honor him. I want to glorify him. Because when you're in love with someone, it will be natural for you to do whatever it is that pleases them. And you want to please God, you keep his commands. Abby and I have been married for well over 15 years. I'm, I, am not, I am not the smartest like if you stacked everybody in this room, lower quarter, I mean like it's bad. You wouldn't believe it, pretty good faker, right? Not smart. But I learned this early on in marriage after a lot of pain. I should do things that please my wife. I realize that when I do things that don't please my wife, it doesn't go well for anybody. But when I set out to go, hey, how, how, can I, how can I tangibly love you today? What, what can I do? Sometimes it's the mundane things. Dishes. Dishes again? It's like, yeah, like four times a day. Come on. Laundry? Yeah, if you want clothes and you want socks to match, even though one's going to rapture somewhere within the dryer and here, you got to fold the laundry. What, what else? I got to cook supper? Yeah, we got we to eat. You want me to do everything around here? I mean... And sometimes it's things like just put 
formula in the bottle so we can feed the baby. And we go, oh, yeah, okay. And that was this morning's text, by the way. Are you alive? Please get the bottle ready, right? When you're in love with your wife or your spouse, you'll do whatever it is to please them. Whatever I can do to help. Whatever I can do to help you, I want to do. Is that bad? No, no, I delight in it. I love it when Abby's happy. I love it when I've pleased her. In the same way with God, let me bridge the analogy. When I aim and I'm in love with God, I, I want to do whatever pleases him. This is what love for God is, to keep his commands. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? You love God and you obey his commands. You can't be pure in heart if you're being disobedient. You can't be pure in heart if your heart is undefiled. You can't be pure in heart if you're chasing after the wrong things. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depends on these two commands. Consider the logic here. All of the law and prophets is summarized by Jesus in these two things. Fall in love with me and love your neighbor as yourself. What? That's it? Yeah, take all that. It's good. I'm not abolishing it. I'm not getting rid of it. But I'm just saying, when you fall in love with me and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to satisfy. You're going to make me happy, if you will. That can't happen on your own strength. I can't muster love for God. There's some days I don't want to love God. I want to love my flesh. I want to love my evil desires or my sexual temptations or my, my pride or my ego or my work. or I want to get back at some. This is what the natural man does. But the grace of God who has redeemed us and saved us from that. He says, that's how you used to live. But I've given you a new heart. Fall in love with me again. So what does it mean to see God? Well, to see God. To see God is got two realities to it. On one hand, God is everywhere. I know that might scare you a little bit. But everywhere you go, he made this promise, I will be with you. This promise is partially fulfilled right now. God is everywhere. The, the Christian, though, sees God in two primary ways, just for time's sake. The first one is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We see God in the incarnation. A few weeks ago, I was meeting with a doctor, and for about 15 to 20 minutes, we talked about the issues that were at hand. And the next hour, 15, we essentially, probably in his mind, debated the gospel. Where I repeatedly shared the gospel with him. I, finally, he came to a place where he admitted that Jesus historically existed. Fi fi I mean, it took a good solid hour for me to get to the place in history to go, do you admit that Jesus existed? That he was on this earth. Well, I guess so. I said, good, I'm so glad you admitted to that. Well, I, I took the bait and I went in on it. I said, good, because here's the deal. If Jesus historically existed, you say he was a good man, but he wasn't who he says he is. A good person is not going to be a liar. Because you're 
claiming that Jesus was a liar. Jesus claimed to be the son of God, but you're saying that Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. So that makes Jesus a liar. Or, 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 Jesus was crazy. He was a lunatic. Right? Because if Jesus claims to be the son of God, only crazy people do that. And a lot of them have done that even recently, even since I've been alive, and they're not alive anymore. If he claims to be the son of God, and he's not, he's crazy. Or, where I land, he is who he says he is. He is the Lord. If Jesus historically existed, which you admit to, he is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And what you have to do, based on your now own admission, you have declared that Jesus was real. You have to do something with Jesus. You cannot claim that you don't have to do anything with him. You have to do something with him, and you need to think about that because it has eternal consequences. And based on your own confession today, sir, who I'm about to pay money to, by your own admission, you are denying that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins so that you could have life and life eternal. Therefore, you will spend an eternity separated from him. You've got to do something with Jesus. He looks at me and says, I will think about it. I thought, well, that's a win. See, the Christian sees God in the incarnation. That's how a way we see God. Can you imagine that people stood there and got to see Jesus face to face? Even Peter says, uh, Jesus asked him, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus rejoices and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but only my father who is in heaven has revealed this. Remember that? It's amazing. But you go, now wait a minute, we, we don't see Jesus physically. That's not fair. Okay. You also see God in his word. Page after page of this living word, which is sufficient for you in all things, that any person who reads it can come to faith. That people are asking, why am I here? What's my purpose? Why is this happening? What's the meaning of life? And yet there are Bibles that fill their homes that are collecting dust. And he has given us those answers. Is it any wonder why our world is messed up? Is it any wonder that your life has a little bit derailed lately? You're not in this book. You're in all kinds of other things. Look, I'm fine if you have the Bible on your phone, but there's just something about opening up his word, looking at it, reading it, and having it read you. Hidden in plain sight, because it's only for those who are pure in heart that can see this. Now, you remember this. Remember the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, if you would stop preaching in parables, everybody would understand what you're saying. Stop it. I mean, the disciples are giving Jesus an instruction on how to communicate. Seems a little bit risky. And Jesus says to them, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I've hidden these things on purpose. I, I tell parables on purpose to hide them because God's truths are pearls and are only for those who are pure in heart. God hiding in plain sight. Think about for a moment a sermon. Think about a sermon on daylight savings. You put forth effort, got dressed, got in your car, you saw the weather, you saw the time and was confused. You came, you, you, you sat down. There's no human explanation for this. This is crazy. 
You're hearing me for whatever reason. And the outside world looks at that and they go, that's weird. Why would you get dressed, inconvenience your, Saturday, your Sunday morning, come up here, talk to people that maybe you've only seen once a week, get some coffee, sit down, and then hear this guy yell. That's weird. If you're pure in heart, God has revealed to you that the Father has made himself known in the Son. And the Son has made himself known through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God uses preaching through a God-called preacher to help you persevere in the faith. It's like a five-layer burrito. It's amazing. Because the outside world will look at this and go, that's weird. But you are sitting there going, how did he know what was going on in my world? I don't know. I've had people say to me, man, this was amazing that you said this. And I go, well, what did I say? And and then they tell me, I go, I don't remember ever saying that. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Through the word of God to make Jesus famous and to glorify the Father. Hundreds, maybe thousands, I've never counted, thousands of cars drive by this building every week and they have no idea that God meets with us week in and week out. They have no idea what goes on in this building. They just think it's a grocery store, but I need you to know God is near. He's all around us, but he doesn't just live here and then wave at you as you drive off. He goes with you on mission And listen, to the degree that you fall in love with God and the degree to which you obey God will be the degree to which God will show more of himself to you. You want God to show up in your life? You want to see God in a tangible way? Fall in love with him, then you can't help but obey him. And the degree to which you do both those things, he will make himself known. Do you want to see God? Do you want to read his word with understanding? The only path is to be pure in heart. A few weeks ago, I went to a nutritionist talking through some things as I climb that mountain to descent down. He told me quite bluntly, he said, you like all the wrong foods. Candy is not a substitute for supper, regardless of the calories. He then began to describe some things and on ways to help as I age. He said, if you would eat foods with less preservatives, it would be better for you. Eat proteins, eat vegetables, if you can, the expensive kind, the organic, right, free range. He said, the reason why you need to avoid those foods that have high preservatives is because they have extra stuff inside that can actually do harm for you than help. See, when I eat food that's altered by man, because it's fast and really convenient, it will keep me away from functioning the way God has designed my body to function. And my problem in my life is that I like all the wrong foods. My taste buds love the wrong things. The same applies to our hearts, friends. Our hearts have tastes 
for all the wrong things. And they become unclean. And Jesus invites us and says, come, I'll give you a new heart. But you can't do this on your own strength. You've got to take a step back and say, Father, I, I need a clean heart. I need a pure heart. Because if I eat whatever the world dishes out, my heart will become sick. But when I focus my heart on the Lord, it becomes pure. Do you want to see God? Only those who have trusted in Christ can be pure. Only those who believe they have sinned and fallen short, but God by His grace has made life possible. Only those who've admitted to that and then believe that only through Jesus they can be saved and confess Jesus as Lord. Only those can be pure in heart. No other way. That's the truth. And so for us today, there's some of you in this room that maybe, may, just maybe, you've been trying to, to do it your own way, living according to your own truth. But God is saying to you today, enough. It's time you stop, and it's time you submit. Maybe some of you have been derailing a little bit for a season, and it's time to get honest with God and get gut level and say, God, this is what I've done. Would you renew my heart? Give me a steadfast spirit. And I believe that when we ask that, he does that very thing. Maybe you're online today, and you want somebody to pray with you. If you write prayer, someone will communicate with you right now and pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we come now, and Lord, we ask that you would help us, because right now the the fight is on. The fight's been on for the last 30, 40 minutes. There are those who know what they need to do, but they are fearful of letting go. Right now, Father, by the power of the Spirit, Would you bring them to a place of repentance, steadfastness, trust in you again. Father, help us in this moment to be honest with you. Lord, may we worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.